0: So defronting the classroom and basically having non-permanent surfaces around the perimeter of the classroom really does help empower the student.
1: Hey, my name is Felix. I'm the host of the White Book Podcast, a weekly podcast powered by White Book, the creators of whiteboard notebooks and flip charts to transform problem solving. Each week, we invite educators like you to share their experience transforming their classrooms. In this episode, you'll learn how to build trust and rapport with your students, how to physically design a classroom, and the benefits of the thinking classroom model. Today, I'm joined by Denise Cowdery, the head of the mathematics department at Lord Dorchester Secondary School, and has been a teacher for 18 years. Welcome, Denise.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. so tell us a little bit more about you. How did you get into teaching?
0: Uh, I actually didn't want to be a teacher (laughs) Um, at first, but I got into lifeguarding and I really enjoyed uh, teaching the intermediate students. I'd, I'd always helped my friends in their math courses in high school. So I ended up going into concurrent education. So I went to Brock University, but I majored in mathematics. So I got a mathematics degree and I took education courses concurrently with my degree and went to teacher's college afterwards.
1: Do you remember that first year? What was it like when you first stepped into a classroom of your own that 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 was yours and you were the teacher? What was that like?
0: I I remember I did an LTO for somebody who was on maternity leave. And I really enjoyed getting to know my students and getting to know the staff and um, just having an impact on teenagers. I really enjoyed it.
1: Mm. What would you say is the most valuable lesson that, that, that you learned maybe early on that, that really helped you become the teacher that you wanted?
0: The important thing is just having a rapport with your students and building a relationship uh, with your staff and students. That's the most important thing that they know that they're cared for and that you have their best interest in mind. And then... Everything else will (laughs) fall into place. Mm -hmm. So I I guess I learned that um, just building those relationships is the primary focus, Um, and then the teaching can take place after.
1: Oh, interesting. So how how do you recommend teachers build this rapport, build a trust with their students?
0: It it does take time. Um, Sometimes doing activities in the class that um, foster foster um, them to see you in a different light. So along with you know the curriculum that I have to impart, we also do team building activities, um, class building activities um, that help to make the students feel safe and to trust one another within our classroom.
1: Mm, so see you in a different light. So not just see you as the teacher. Well, I guess, can you describe a little more about this? How do you want them to, to see you, you know, beyond just, just their teacher?
0: I guess I just want them to know that I have their best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I care about their well being, um, as well as I care about their understanding of mathematics and, um, I want them to feel successful um so i want them to get them to get to know me so that they can um that trust can be built so that i feel that then when we're actually doing content um they're they're more likely to buy into what I'm trying to get them to do that right. particular thing.
1: So let's talk about this, the, the way that you build the report with the students, I think you described, and the importance of it is really relevant here because of the specific type of model that you are introducing. So tell us a bit more about the model that you use for teaching in your classroom.
0: So one of my strategies is using vertical non-permanent surfaces and visual random groupings. I was... Went to OAME one year and I happened um, along a thinking classroom conference and it revolutionized how I thought about how I'm imparting information. Traditionally, the students would come in and I would show them several examples and I would show them how to do examples and I would basically be taking all the thinking and I would be doing all the thinking for my students. Um, um, so now I've switched it around and it's called the thinking classroom. And now I come to school every day and I watch my students do math instead of them coming to school and watch me do math. So basically the students um, might be given a problem or a question and they are in visible random groupings every day. So what that means is they come in every day and um, they're in a different group of three every day. And that's their group just for that day. And the problem that I give, they would work uh, vertically around the classroom on whiteboards. So it allows them to work on a problem and it allows me to see how they're working on that problem, the different strategies they're using. And it allows me to see um, who's struggling, who needs help, um, rather than just working horizontally uh, using paper and pencil on their desk. Mm,
1: So you're usually the very first classroom where they've experienced this?
0: Normally, yes. Yes. but <laughs> it's things are changing actually. And even when I walk into my, my own children's school, they have whiteboards in the hall- hallways now. And I see them have a problem of the day put up, not necessarily on math. It could be on anything. And we've been doing some cross panel work with our feeder schools. Um, and that was their one takeaway when they came and they were watched me do a lesson with one of my grade nine classes. And when I went to visit them, I saw that they had whiteboards up around their classroom and they were working vertically as well. So I feel that it's spreading.
1: What made you confident to try it out? Like, what, what made you say, you know what, let me try implementing this in my classroom.
0: I was looking for, I was dif- looking for different alternatives um, that could help, students retain information and so the level of engagement um, comparatively um, is astounding Um, and I have found that the students are better able when they're able to talk about a problem and own a problem it makes it more memorable for them as they are understanding a concept rather than me just dictating how to do a particular problem. One of the benefits is it allows um, information to be shared readily throughout the classroom. So, and it allows information to spread. Whereas normally when we would work horizontally, I would have to go around and help each group individually. Whereas now, if one group has an idea it spreads throughout the classroom because it's all visible to all the other groups. So it does allow the students um, to work more collaboratively. Um, So it does allow efficiency. So I get a lot more done accomplished in class. Students can see multiple representations, multiple solutions um, in a very efficient, quick manner because everything is visible. It allows information to spread throughout the classroom. Because it's so easily erasable, I find they're more likely to make mistakes and mistakes are so valuable. Um, And I feel that we learn from our mistakes. So because it's non-permanent, it allows the students um, to erase very easily. They're more likely to make a mistake than if they're using a pencil and paper and they'd have to erase it or scratch it out or whatnot. Being able to see those different solutions and things being easily able to be erased is a huge advantage.
1: What have you learned about how to get buy-in from your classroom, from the students themselves?
0: Um, I do find that it's easier if we do start them in grade nine because it is a transition period for them, anyways. So when they come into a grade nine classroom, they just realize, well, this is what grade nine math is like, and they're they get used to working vertically on our whiteboards um, daily. Um, students, they do recognize over time that them being able to talk to one another. Um, makes them an active participant in the learning rather than a passive participant. So I feel that they can recognize that their depth of understanding increases because they're engaged in the learning rather than just being a passive um, participant.
1: What about, what about with like the faculty or the school administration? If this is, if the teacher out there is listening, they want to be the very first one to introduce this to, to their classroom. What kind of challenges do you think that they might, might run into and any thoughts on how to approach these potential challenges? I
0: have been really lucky in my school and I have had administration who have backed me up and we have at our board office, um, they've actually brought in people to do professional development uh, that has helped us incorporate vertical non-permanent surfaces so um, there's always going to be challenges i was trying this method with an advanced functions class um, and there was a student i most of the students i teach at a small school i've taught i teach many times but this particular student i hadn't after I came into school the second day and his father had called the superintendent (laughs) because um, he was uh, upset um, about what I had been explaining on the first day of class. So subsequently, I was upset (laughs) um, because I really feel like I have my students' best interests at heart. Um, But ultimately, I was backed up and they did say that Um, he, he was lucky, lucky to be in this particular class and ultimately at the end of the semester, he had his highest math mark he'd ever received in math. So I think that's a big win.
1: So for an educator out there that wants to adopt this model with the the thinking classroom, the vertical non permanent surfaces, how can they, how how can they begin? Like what's the path that you'd recommend a, a, a teacher to, to, to approach if they want to follow in your footsteps?
0: I had um seen some research from Peter Lilyadahl and I went to a session on um Alex Overwick who works at the Ottawa District School Board. So being on Twitter and even um following thinking classrooms that can help or um I'm always willing um to help uh mentor people through the process. So um, Finding a mentor can be um, a good thing. I have found it one of the easiest things to implement because all it takes just putting up something that's non-permanent, non-per- that's vertical. Uh, just starting with that, having a whiteboard marker, something that's non-permanent, non-per- that has allowed my students time to first task and actually attempting a problem. It has increased their um, time to task. It has increased their um, level of understanding. Um, when I first started, instead of, you know, giving them all the examples, I would just put up a few examples. And normally I find students have prior knowledge and I would get them to try it first. So I found it a very easy transition to tell you the truth. With the thinking classroom model, it was just a little tweak. So instead of giving all my students the information, I just, I did withhold the information and I let them do that productive struggle. Um, so I didn't find it an onerous task in implementing and as, uh, baby steps, um, I could ask better questions as I continued throughout this journey that I've been on. Um, and I've learned how to ask better questions. But I just started with the basics and what my norm was um, and just kind of flipped the classroom so that they were doing the work instead of me showing them how to do the work. Mm.
1: Now, how would you describe or can you describe the physical design of your ideal classroom? How can it be set up so that it is more uh, conducive to supporting this uh, thinking the thinking classroom model?
0: Well, one of the things is de-fronting the classroom. And so instead of the teacher being front and center, it's really um, a student-centered classroom. So... I do have a whiteboard surrounding my classroom um, and what it allows me to do is when the students are working vertically on their particular questions, it allows me then after, let's say they've worked on a particular problem, I can then go to different whiteboards and, say, and look at different strategies that students have used. So it really allows the students to look at different options that maybe their method isn't the only method, or maybe they like that method better. Um, and it allows us a great discussion. So setting up the qu- the class like this, we really don't have a front of the classroom. It allows them ownership of their learning. Um, and then it allows me to be able to bring the students to a particular whiteboard and discuss maybe how they modeled that problem. And then we could walk around the classroom to a different solution. So defronting the classroom um, and basically having non-permanent surfaces around the perimeter of the classroom um, really does help um, this empower the students.
1: Can you say a little more about the tools or products that you use in the classroom for for this model?
0: The tools for the vertical, non permanent classroom. I have whiteboards around my classroom. I do use um, the whiteboard that has the grid on it, and I'll tape those up when we're doing graphing y equals mx plus b or transformations or whatnot. Um, and um, but that could also like I know some people buy like, you know, shower board or whatnot from like Home Depot. I've never done that. Um, I've always used um, my white boards or I have the white um, book um, sheets that I tape up.
1: Where do you see the future of classrooms moving? Like where do you see, because you're kind of in the forefront of this, this new model, where do you see you know, let's say 10 years from now, like, do you see that this being adopted more? Like, what direction do you see classrooms moving?
0: I do. Um, It's a big, um, it does have big impact. The classroom, you know, 50 years ago and the classroom today. And if it looks exactly the same, I don't know, is that a good thing? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there's a lot of debate on that. You know, within our school, we have, you know, we're confined to the space, the, you know, the four walls in my room, but if you were building a new school um, and I have noticed like even my husband's a teacher as well. And he actually just got whiteboards in his class and um, he was very excited. <laughs> it does. Um, it does transform your classroom and it does. It, it is transformative. So I, I would see in, if I was to design my, dream classroom um you know whiteboards from floor to ceiling type of thing there will be different zones within the classroom where students could work individually could work in groups there be different zones in the classroom for let's say technology such as checking their answers on math we use desmos a lot um, and there's different activities there might be another section with manipulatives that we use such as you know algebra tiles and things like that or different um different uh section of the room for that so I think I would see it as if I was to design my perfect classroom it would be quite large (laughs) um and it would allow for space for students um to be vertical but also um those spaces where they could group together and use different tools.
1: Got it. So you mentioned a couple of names earlier of some thought leaders, some blogs that you follow. Can you list them again? Any other ones that you can think of for, for resources or thought leaders or blogs that listeners can go and check out if they want to learn more about the Thinking Classroom model?
0: I've been using the research from Peter Liliadal and um, Alex Overwick, as well as uh, Mary Barassa.
1: Awesome. So yeah, thank you so much for your, for your time, Denise. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience. No problem. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the White Book Podcast, the podcast for educators that are transforming their classrooms powered by White Book. Visit whitebook.com to learn more.